What a blessing to be a part of what's happening here today. Cedar Street, I love you very much and uh, so grateful to celebrate this Christmas season with all of you. Um, I know what we've been walking through in our four-week series here on confession is kind of heavy for the Christmas season, but I also think it's the right time for it. In fact, uh, today's the fourth and final message. I'm I'm hoping I don't hear an amen out there, but uh, this is the fourth and final message on what we've called our sermon series, which is I Must Confess, as we talk about the doctrine of confession. Let me say before we continue to walk into this uh, message today. I'm grateful to be at a church where I can preach honestly. I was reminded this week that there are churches that do not permit pastors to stand up and talk about sin. And as long as God has ordained for me to stand behind His holy desk and open up His holy word and preach the word to His people, I will never be anything but honest. And, and what I say to you, I preach to myself each and every single day. Sin is a disease that we all struggle with. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but until His second coming, we're going to be wrestling with three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it'd be better for us to be honest. It'd be better for us to know what we're up against than to kind of sweep it under the carpet and say, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. The fact of the matter is we're not okay. God is with us, and He is guiding us, and He is helping us. But we live in a fallen and broken world. And in the fallen and broken world of darkness, God offers us this gift. And this gift is confession. When we can stand before a holy God and be honest about where we've gone wrong, He can take what is wrong, and He can make it right. And we've talked in the last four weeks, or the last three weeks, now being the fourth week, different aspects of confession. I said last week, it's kind of like a hologram where you see it from different sides. In week one, we talked about, I must confess because I need God's cleansing. And we said, we need His cleansing from our unrighteous thoughts, our unrighteous words, our unrighteous actions. Then in week two, we talked about, I must confess, I need God's mercy We need God to have mercy on us for all the things that have been broken, our our families, our jobs, our testimonies, all the things that we've done wrong. God can make those things right, have mercy upon us. And so last week, we continued to walk through the Word, and we were in Psalms, and we talked about the fact that we need God's strength, that sin robs us of strength, that when we're living in sin, God can't bless that, and so He leaves us to our own resources to live according to our own strength, and there's only so much that we can do when we're living life in our own strength, and so we need to confess to have His strength. So that leads us into the fourth and final message of this sermon series, and today the title of our sermon ser- our message is, um, I must confess I need God's renewal. I need God's renewal. And I think this is the perfect message for us because it kind of takes the first three messages and gives us a good summary of everything we've been studying these past few weeks. This is a wonderful reminder of the need for confession. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite preachers, he's gone on to be with the Lord. Most of you probably heard a sermon or two. He's still on the radio just about every day. Adrian Rogers once famously said, and you've probably heard this quote, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin will do. But this quote reminds us that sin is nothing to play games with. It has the power to do serious damage to our lives, and it can rob us of any hope of a light 
at the end of our dark tunnel. Thankfully, we serve a God of new beginnings who offers us a chance to hit the reset button and start over. As long as we still have breath in our lungs and a repentant heart that we are willing to offer to God through confession, we're still candidates for grace. Amen? And when we're candidates for grace, we're also candidates for His blessing of renewal. And with His renewal, we can have a new season and a new chapter in our lives as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. I'm excited to open up God's Word this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the 51st Psalm. Psalm 51, we'll be reading verses 7 through 12. And if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant Word. Again, we're in Psalm 51, and this is verses 7 through 12. Hear the Word of the Lord, starting in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you and praise you for this day that you have made. And Father, again, we thank you for this gift of confession. As we have considered the truth according to your word these past few weeks, Father, today we look at this message, inspired of the Holy Spirit from the lips of King David, the desire that you have for us to confess, and the desire that you also have to renew us after we have. Father, I pray a blessing upon everyone in the sanctuary here this morning and the families they represent. I pray that you would bless them with open minds and hearts to receive the truth of this word and that we would confess our sins and experience and receive the renewal that comes from your blessing and your spirit. Be with us now at this time as we consider the truth of this passage. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. Here's an undeniable truth that everybody in this room can agree on. We want change in our lives. From time to time, whether it's a presidential election, all right, I've heard that a few times the past few weeks, or in other areas of our lives, if it's New Year's resolutions, we got that coming up here at the end of this month. We, We know there are things in our life that are not as we want them to be And we always have hope that things can get better. We can turn the page to a new chapter. That's part of our our DNA as fallen creatures. We know because of sin, things are not as good as they could be. Things don't taste as good as they should. Things don't last as long as they should. And we're constantly wrestling and struggling to get over the things that have broken us through our sin and look from that dark tunnel to the light that's supposed to be at the end of it. We're all yearning for change. Again, you know what? I give credit to politicians who've tapped into this because they realize this sells. Everybody wants change. Everybody knows that something's not right in our lives and we want something to change. The problem is that doesn't happen in Washington, D.C. That happens at the throne of God. 
The change that we're looking for in life, there's no candidate can promise, promise us what it is that we desperately need. What we need is renewal. What we need is the slate wiped clean. What we need is a God who can give us a new and a fresh start. And what we need, we have with the God we serve. This is the doctrine of confession, that when we confess our sins, He offers us His renewal. He offers us His renewal. Before I dive into the first point of our message here this morning, let me just do a quick review of the context of this passage. Most of you may know this, but if you're not too familiar with the Bible or certain stories of the Old Testament, this would be a good review for all of us. So this particular passage is written by King David. And it actually says in the Scriptures that this particular passage was written to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we know the context. So here's the context. King David, awesome king, arguably the greatest king that Israel had ever known prior to Christ. And this king, as it says in Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, he was wandering on the rooftop of, the, of his house at a time when most kings are off to war. And his eyes caught the beauty of a woman bathing in her home across the way. That woman was Bathsheba. And sin became a thought. And that thought entered his heart. And it eventually became an action. He eventually coerced Bathsheba into a season of adultery. And not only that, he became an accessory to murder. We see later on in that chapter that he took Uriah, her husband, and purposely put him on the front lines of war so that he would be killed and that he'd have, uh, David would have unlimited access to Bathsheba. And he certainly paid the price for that sin. Okay, Bathsheba conceived and had a child and gave birth to that child and the child died. And that was a direct consequence of his sin. David fasted. David prayed that God would have mercy. God decided there's consequences for that punishment, for that sin. And he, and he had the consequences laid right at his feet when his child was not able to take a second breath. However, this same David, who understood the consequences of his sin, who understood the sinfulness of adultery and accessory to murder, still had not fully confessed these sins to God. And we see in the next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan the prophet, inspired of God, finally decides to confront David. And he uses a parable. The parable is real simple. He talks about a, a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man had all types of sheep and the poor man had this little ewe lamb. And the rich man stole from the poor man and took the ewe lamb and slaughtered the lamb to present it to his guests. And David said, how could the rich man possibly do that? And Nathan says, you're the rich man in this story. You stole the ewe lamb. Uriah was a faithful man of God, and you took his wife and sent him on the front lines to die. And David finally, for the first time, was completely honest about his sin. And as he came to grips with the honesty of how sinful he really was, it led him for the first time into genuine confession. Now think about this. David, an adulterer and an accessory to murder, is still known in the annals of our faith, whether it be those who cling to the Old Testament, our Jewish brothers and sisters, of course, us as Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all look at King David and say the same thing. He's a man after God's own heart. Not because he was good, because he was honest. He was honest before God. And as we'll see here today, 
in Psalm 51, this honesty brought him a new heart and a new spirit. So the first of three points that I'd like to share when it comes to confession bringing us renewal is this. Number one, God renews what is stained and broken by making it clean and whole. God renews what is stained and broken by making it clean and whole. Verses 7 through 8 say this. Look back at the text with me here. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. There's a couple of key words in this text here I want to take a look at. Number one is hyssop. I did not know what hyssop was prior to doing a little bit of research. I don't know if that's a word that you're familiar with. But hyssop, according to Jewish tradition, is an ancient Jewish shrubbery plant whose twigs are used for rites of purification. So when the Jewish mind would think of hyssop, the Jewish mind would think of purity. And not only does David use this, he drops down into using another example of purity, and that's snow. It's a symbol of unblemished purity. Think about new fallen snow. I know that I'm a Yankee talking to some Southerners here, but I'm sure you've seen new fallen snow at some point in your life. If not on TV, it's certainly, uh, for those of you who have gone on ski trips, you've seen what it looks like. Before, before somebody puts on boots and stomps all the footsteps all over that new snow, it's just beautiful. It's unblemished. It's pure. I ought to have Nikki come up here and share that with us. I forgot we had a Canadian in the sanctuary. She knows what new fallen snow looks like. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's not fun to drive in, but it sure is fun to look at when it's unblemished. That's, that's the picture that David is, is talking about. Purity, unblemished. He's saying, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than new fallen snow. But then he makes another statement here, and we should stop for a second and think about this. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. We said last week, last week we made the comment when we saw David saying in the psalm that we were reading last week, your, he- your hand was heavy upon me. It is God who will enable us to suffer when we're living in sin. Again, I think I shared that quote from Charles West last week that we go to God when the foundations of our lives are being shaken only to realize that it's God who's shaking them. People say, well, a loving God would never do that. Well, a loving and holy God would. God will allow us to suffer if it will bring us to repentance. And He's a good Father to do that. It does not mean He's not loving. It means He's holy and He calls us to repent. That's a loving thing to do. It would not be loving of him to ignore our sin and let us walk down a path of destruction and stand before him at the day of judgment and have him cast us away. It's loving for him to allow us to suffer now, to wake us up, to say something's not right. I've not made the decisions that God has called for me to make, and I need to turn away from this lifestyle. God broke David's bones, but he's also going to heal those same bones. He says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. God, you have called me and into a season of suffering because of my sin. My bones are broken, but those same bones are broken. You can bring healing and you can make those bones rejoice because you are God. David's acknowledging that, that God renews what is stained and broken and he makes it clean and whole. So before we go on to our second point, 
Let me just pose this question. Do you want your sins washed away and the broken pieces of your life put together? If so, confess your sins and repent to a loving and holy God. He can take what's stained and make it clean. Take what's broken and make it whole. And He wants to do that in your life. But we must confess and we must repent. Number two, God renews what is guilty and wrong by making it innocent and right. Look at verses 9 through 10 again. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We see right away here in verse 9 that God is showing himself to be our judge. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David's basically saying, I have sinned and you are holy and you will judge my sin, but I pray that you'll hide your face from those sins and you'll blot them out. I hear so much about God being a loving father, and he is. He is. But God's also our judge. And if there, you know, I think about my mentor, Steve Tillis, pastor in North Carolina, who mentored me for three years. If there's one sentence that I heard him say behind the pulpit about 50 times is quit playing games with God. Some of us, we're just playing games. We honestly think God doesn't know what we're doing or that he, he's so loving and merciful, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences later. I'll do what I need to do now, and I'll toss up a few words of confession later, and, and he can wipe the slate clean, and I can just move on. But I've said the last three weeks, the God who forgives is also the God that enables us to take the consequences for our sins. We talked about that with David. we got to stop playing games with God, because he's not only a loving and holy father, but he's also our judge. And we will have to stand before him in our day of judgment and take up an account for the things that we've thought, that we've said, and that we've done. And he's going to reward obedience. He's going to punish disobedience. Now hear me clearly so that I'm not misunderstood. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your salvation is sealed. You cannot lose what you did not earn. All right. Once you are born again, you cannot become unborn again. And you will stand before a holy God with confidence that you'll be judged according to the record of Christ. I completely and totally believe that. But I also believe there will be special rewards given out to those who've been obedient and honest before God, and there will still be consequences for those who are disobedient to a holy God. He's our judge every bit as much as He is our Father, and we need to remember that, and we need to be honest with Him. We need to be honest. So again, number two, God renews what is guilty and wrong by making it innocent and right. Let me just ask this before we move on to number three. Do you want to be declared innocent by the one who has dominion over your soul? If you want to be declared innocent, confess and repent. Confess and repent. Third and finally, God renews what is absent and full of sorrow by making it complete and full of joy. Look at verses 11 through 12 at the end of the passage. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. These words are kind of an echo of another psalm. I was thinking about this in my preparation. Psalm 1611 says, 
You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This simply teaches us God's presence is the source of lasting pleasure. God's presence is the source of lasting pleasure. Let me ask you a question. If you're living in sin, can you experience pleasure? Yeah, but it can't last. That's the thing about sin. It's kind of like cotton candy. It tastes good on the tongue, but there's no substance to it. It can't, it can't promise you what God can promise you. The fullness of your joy, the depths of your pleasure can only be experienced in the presence of God. And God cannot remain in presence of sin. If it's unconfessed, God's not with you. All right, it's not, not to say he's given up on you, but you can't experience his full presence in a time that you're living in unrepentant sin. When he, when he feels the most distant to us, those are probably the times that we have sin that we've not turned away from in our lives. You know, right here, David makes a very bold statement. He says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. There's a key here that I want to make. I mean, we got a few minutes left here. We do have one thing, all right, that our Jewish friends do not. When you are born again, you receive the Holy Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was beside them, and the Spirit was with them. But as believers in Jesus Christ, the Spirit is in us. And we cannot lose that. But here's what can happen. The Bible does say, as believers in Jesus Christ, that we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. And what that means is, if you keep living in sin... For such a sustained period of time that you will not turn back to God, that you will not confess your sin and turn away from that lifestyle, you will experience a muting of the Spirit's power. He will, he, he will begin to be quieted. He will begin to feel distant. He will begin to feel like that He's a million miles away even when He dwells inside of you because you've quenched Him and you've grieved Him by your sin. So in essence... No, the Spirit cannot be removed from us if we're believers like the Spirit could be removed from the Jews in the Old Testament, but the Spirit can be quieted to such a degree that we will not experience His sweetness. We will not experience His power. We will not experience His presence until we confess and take what is wrong and make it right by being honest before God. He also talks in this passage about being restored to the joy of our salvation. Can I say something about the joy of our salvation? I think we only enjoy one part of it. Salvation is not only what you've been saved from, which is condemnation, but what you've been saved for, an eternal relationship with the living God. And this joy should be a motivation in our lives. And when we're living in sin, we're not thinking about how great our salvation is. We're either trying to forget about God altogether, or we're living in this guilt that we can't carry. We know we're not right with God. But God, but David says, restore to me this joy that the salvation that you have promised me is what gets me out of bed in the morning and lets my heart leap for joy even in the darkest moments of my life. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So I ask again here in question three, do you experience the lasting joy of God's presence and power? If not and confess, and repent. And that leads us to our conclusion. And our conclusion is this. 
God's renewal of blessing in our daily lives calls only for our repentance. So for God to bless, we must continue to confess. Let me read that one more time. God's renewal of blessing in our daily lives calls only for our repentance. So for God to bless, we must continue to confess. Now, I've spent four weeks fleshing out this topic. I know that you're ready for a Christmas message next week, and we're going to go there. December 25th, we are going to preach the birth of Jesus Christ, I promise you. But before I bring this message to a close, let me bring this thing full circle. I want you to be honest right now in the pew about your own life. And I want to say this. When is the last time that you honestly confessed sin to God? If it's been a long time, it's probably for one of these reasons here. And I want you to think about what, which of these reasons it could be for you and your life. Number one, it could be deception. Okay, you could actually believe that you haven't sinned and that everything you've done is good and right before God. We said in week one in 1 John verses 8 through 9, chapter 1, 8 through 9, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There are a lot of people in this world who are just deceived. They think, what have I really done that's that bad? And I talked about this weeks ago. It's because we don't measure ourselves by the standards of God. We measure ourselves by the standards of man. So you read the newspaper, you get on Facebook, all right? You watch WTOC and you say, I'm a good person because I've not done that and I've not done that and I've not done that. But according to the standards of God, sin is something we wrestle with every day. Whether it's a thought that doesn't honor God, whether it's a word of gossip, all right? We've all fallen into that sin from time to time. If you say that you've never gossiped in your whole life, I'm going to go tell someone that you're not telling the truth. <laughs> all right? So deception, that's a reason why we don't confess. How about pride? We just don't want to admit that we're wrong. Pride's an issue. This is a big one for me. I struggle with this third one, distraction. I'm focused on other things that are more important to me right now than my relationship with God. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been deeply convicted listening to a sermon, and by the time I get halfway through my lunch, that conviction has just gone away. I've been deeply convicted. I remember writing things in my Bible, and weeks later I'd read it and go, oh, I completely forgot about that. Because we're distracted. This world wants our attention to be on anything but God. There's two more. Some of us are, are skeptical towards real change. We don't believe that telling God where we messed up is going to make any difference, so why do it? We don't realize the power of God to take what is broken and put it back together. We're just skeptical. And here's the final one. Bondage to sin. We don't want to confess our sin because here's what we know. If you stand before God and you confess your sin, you got to repent. And we don't want to let go of the sin that we're living in. We're not ready to let go of it yet. I have a friend of mine from college, and he, he said this to me about 10 times in college. He said, Bo, I know I'm not right with God, but I'm, not, I'm just not ready to live for him yet. He, knew, he knows his life is not right, but he's just enjoying the sin a little bit too much but yet, and the sad part is, he does not realize the infinite amount of joy that lies here if he would simply confess and live for God. There's no joy 
like being in the will of God. There's nothing that we can enjoy that will be that lasting and that fulfilling. I don't know where you fit in any of those categories. None of us are perfect. I don't know if it's deception or pride or distraction or being skeptical or being bonded to sin. I don't know what that is in your life, but here's my prayer. That you and me would be honest before God and that confession would be a part of our daily, if not our weekly lives. And as we enter into a time of invitation, I want to make you aware of one thing. Starting next week, I've prayed about this. Starting next week, confession is going to be a part of our weekly worship here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. There'll be a time where we confess the words of 1 John 1, 8 through 9 together, and then moments of silence where we can collect our thoughts about the week that we've had and silently in our pews offer words of confession and prayer to God before we enter into a time of worship. I believe, here's, here's what I believe, a closing word on this topic. We pray for revival all the time. The number one way in the history of the church where men and women have experienced a movement of God is after a time of prayer and confession. If we're willing to be honest with God and as a congregation confess things that we've thought that don't honor Him, things that we've said that don't honor Him, things that we've done that don't honor Him, I'm, I promise you, if this church is willing to be honest before God, there is no telling in 2017 what the movement of the Holy Spirit can do in this church. And I want to be here when it happens. Amen? Amen? Amen. Having said that, we will close the book on this particular topic. And I confess to you, it has been a uh, very challenging four weeks, but one I pray that will stick on our hearts and minds as we enter into a new year and a new opportunity to have the slate wiped clean. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, You are holy and loving. And Father, let us never forget those two things come together. They come together in the Lord Jesus Christ. They come together on the cross. Your holiness demanded that sacrifice, and Your love is what kept Him on the cross until His final breath. And as we celebrate His birth, let us also remember His death, that through that shed blood, You give us the gift of confession, that we can be restored and renewed, that we can experience Your cleansing and Your mercy and Your strength. Heavenly Father, I pray a spirit of confession would fall upon this congregation, Father, would fall upon me and my family as well. And Father, that in 2017, that your spirit would move in a congregation where people are honest about their lives. We're broken and messed up, but Father, you take broken things and make beautiful things out of them. I pray that you do that with us and do that in this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.